1: Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy, grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind. Head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm super excited about this next guest. Here's Dan Sultan. And for those of you who don't know who Dan Saltney is, though I'm pretty much sure all of you do, he's an incredible musician. He's a wonderful human and he's also five years alcohol free as of June. So, Dan, thanks for coming on today. How are you? I'm good. How are you going? <laughs> really good. We were just talking before we started about your awesome tour and your new album and how well that's going. How does it feel to be out on the road? And have you toured sober before?
2: Yeah, so I have done a bit of touring sober and before I actually stopped five years ago, I did do a couple of tours sober,
1: mm-hmm.
2: sort of knowing how I, how I could get back yeah. then. It was sort of had to take a few steps in that direction. In 2015, I did a tour sober, but yeah, it's great. It's good,
1: good. Yeah, yeah. I love so, it.
2: It's been really wonderful. We've, we were talking earlier, I've booked things a bit conservatively, sort of coming back into things. Things were being set up in, in January this year and the record didn't come out till August. So it was all yet to be determined. That being said, we've done some really beautiful shows in Brisbane and um, Sydney and Melbourne in some amazing rooms. Brisbane, the Princess Theatre, beautiful, beautiful theatre. And the Recital Hall and Recital Centre in Sydney and Melbourne, just massive. and They're all seated too, which is my first tour with a band done quite a few solo runs for it seated but with a band which was really great because we've really dialed in a lot of a lot of sounds and we've got an incredible lighting designer so it's a really big show in that sense
1: amazing So it's good yeah. to
2: just sit down and, and hopefully yeah. enjoy it you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And and like, congratulations on the tour and the album. And it's amazing what you can do as well. Like, what becomes available to you sometimes when you do go alcohol free—that we probably didn't even know were possible—become possible all of a sudden. Have you found that?
2: Yeah, I said it a few times. It's, it's so luxurious waking up and feeling okay, not being hungover for five years. It's just so luxurious. <laughs>
1: What a great way of putting you, it. It is. You can be
2: tired when you wake up. Everyone's tired when you wake up, of course, but within a few minutes you're ready as yeah. opposed to, in my case, certainly by the end, it took me weeks <laughs> to <Yeah>. feel okay. <laughs> weeks to wake I up. I drink through it
3: mm-hmm. and uh,
2: that's all I could do for it. So, yeah, it's great. Like this last run and, you know, yourself when you're booking things like this particularly with abandoned crew you're sort of doing it off the smell of an oily rag so a lot of the flights were pretty early in the morning
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> great yeah you, know,
2: you know and you're just you're just saving money where you can but it's the last one. I mean up at 4 30 and lobby calls at 5 30 and to the airport and you string a few of those in, together in a row and you're tired but you're fine the shows are great and you're feeling good and everything's okay. I was talking to a friend of mine. There's no booze for my shows as well. I mean, the punters obviously have a drink, whatever, but for my crew and, and band, they're, they're really, really great about it as well. So that's just a bit of a hard and fast policy for me. And that's not, that's not any distrust on anyone else or a judgment call on anyone else's behavior or potential behavior. That's just something that that I need and something that I've, put in place a boundary for myself that's
1: great yeah
2: that's yeah. awesome um you know I, I, I work with a lot of people and I work on on different shows and it's not something that I I don't throw my weight around about it it's not something that I bring to anyone else's show or put my foot down about or anything like that we play festivals it's just alcohol exists and it's in our lives for my show and when I arrive at a venue for my a headline show that's my stage for the night and that's my band room and that's my That's my venue. That's one thing I've put in place, which is a big help for me. And even just on principle, as well as the obvious practicalities, doing something like that as an alcoholic, beneficial practicalities, but even just on principle, it's all based around self-esteem addiction. And Mm. when you set a boundary in place, no matter how big or small that you follow through with, that's really, really important. For your well being.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Boundaries are so important. And it's often something that gets overlooked. And we don't realize how important it is to set those boundaries and keep ourselves and what keeps us safe within our own framework, within our own sobriety. Oh, within because, our own
2: minds. Yeah. 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 In and, our often, own minds and within our own emotions. You know. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I think when we uh, were drinking, the boundaries get transgressed all the time, both from us and the other way, so it's really important. Can you tell me a bit about when you got started drinking? Like when did you first start?
2: Oh, look, I think I just when I was a teenager and it wasn't really a problem for me until my mid-20s. I mean, I could go without it. And to be honest, I could go without it even when I would drink to excess and when it became a problem. It was just when I was doing it. It was only a problem when I drank, (laughs) you know. Ah. That's yeah. the thing about drinking. It's only a mm-hmm. problem when you drink.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Me personally, I mean, I could, I could not drink. But if I was having a drink, then it, you know, there was nothing to say whether it was going to be a fun night or a fortnight of isolation. And yeah, and who but, knows what happens if within that fortnight whether I get into an argument or or, or fuck up or whatever. So it was just extremely unpredictable. There's alcoholism, it's it, it's a lot of different things. I mean, I'm an alcoholic, I haven't had a drink for five years. There are friends of mine who can have a bottle of wine every night and they're absolutely fine. And I was saying to a mate of mine the other day, on the road actually, while we were away, it was a bit dusty in the morning but then by the time they get to the airport, they're fine. And that just was never on the cards for me. I mean, my, I have a really slow metabolism and whatever the reasons are, my hangover would just be horrendous. I'd still be drunk. And so to feel okay and to feel better, I would I would want to keep drinking. And I, yeah. would, and I would keep drinking. You know? And you would and, keep drinking. There were times when I wouldn't and I'd just kind of battle through it and then be okay and then I'd be all right. And then there were times when, when oh, I would sort good. of balance it, try to do the balancing act and just drink enough so I wouldn't feel sick and, but not enough to be fucked up. And sometimes that would be okay. Never be okay, of course, but sometimes you get away with it, I guess. And then there were times when, yeah, it would just be out of control. And always- the thing is, I say okay and I say get away with it, but if I'm totally honest with myself and honest with you, those, those moments would be peaking at 65%, 70% of my capabilities mm-hmm. and my... Strength as an individual or a performer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you think you're getting away with stuff. I mean, you know, that implies that other people are holding you to account. They're not, they're holding themselves to account or not. Everyone's doing their own thing. You think you're kind of convincing someone of something or telling someone something they want to hear or whatever. It's, it's got nothing to do with anyone else. It's just bullshit. And you're bullshit when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And you know that. I knew that, and you know, I certainly know that now. But again, it comes back to self-esteem. I mean, how ready, uh, how ready someone is to be totally transparent with themselves. It's got mm. nothing to do with anyone else.
1: What did the drinking do for you when you did do it? So even though you didn't know how it was going to end up, what were you kind of looking for in the booze?
2: I don't know. It was fun, you yeah. know, having fun. There's all the the cliches. I don't mind cliches, by the way. I don't see that as a negative. I don't. They don't hold negative connotations for me. Something's a cliche because it gets said a lot, and usually that's because it's true. It's true. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: you kind of you're, you're switching off a bit, and you're checking out of your emotions, and you it felt good. Mm-hmm. I remember one one time at this great pub, and I still like a pub, and I don't really go to pubs that often. But I do, I still like it. It's nice. It's uh, where I lived in Melbourne. For a while, you'd be a fireplace at one of these pubs and you go and get a meal and have a laugh and get a bit pissed and it was nice. And that's a nice kind of, maybe, I mean, I don't know what a normal relationship is with alcohol, but from the outside looking in, that seemed like a nice normal kind of interaction with a scenario like that, which I did have often, but then I just never knew. But I was there and I had a roof garden and it was nice and I had an interview that I had to do and I had a couple of beers and I thought I've got to go do this interview and I called someone I used to work with and I asked her, hey, is that going to be on a Zoom or a phone or there was some question related to it. She was like, oh, that's not today, that's tomorrow. And the feeling I got of just like, yes, I was there with friends. They didn't have anything else on. They were going to be at the pub all day and all night and they were going to have a big one. I wasn't, I was catching up for a little bit, maybe catch them later, but I had to go do some stuff. But the feeling I got of just like, yes, I don't have to go and do this thing. It wasn't even the next day. It was like next week or something. So it wasn't even like, oh, I better not be hung over. It was like, great. I can fucking get, there is Sit no tomorrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 And that was great. That felt great. Look, I know that it's, uh, that it's really dangerous and I, know, and I knew it then. And I, and I know that, um, it's really sad. It is. It's really sad. That was great <laughs> in that moment. And that was mm-hmm. a, a year or two before I stopped. Mm-hmm, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. So
2: that was getting to around Getting, time. getting yeah. towards
1: the end of it. So it's giving you a bit of escape and it's a bit of fun. You'd mentioned low self-esteem. Do you feel like you had a low self-esteem? Yeah, definitely. And it, did it bolster your self-esteem?
2: No, no, not at all. just helped me forget about it.
1: Ah, uh-huh. so you forget about the low self-esteem. Is it like inner critic stuff when you talk about the low self-esteem?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I had a very low self-esteem. You know, there's a difference between confidence and, and ego. I mean, I always knew how beautiful I am.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I've always been very shy. So it's like this weird dichotomy of being that shy person and that relatively strong, confident, beautiful person, which I have always been but also being too shy to lean into that. So you got to put something up or I felt I had to put something up, which since not drinking, what I put up is what actually exists. And I would do that in the past. Definitely. It wasn't always bullshit. In fact, it was, it was really bullshit. There was certainly bullshit along there. There was a lot. There was a lot of truth and there was a lot of bullshit. (laughs) I mean, people are complicated.
1: Yeah. 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 I think day to day we have a lot of truth and we have a lot of bullshit no matter what, yeah. oftentimes. It, and then we're kind of trying to peel away at that. And I think with sobriety usually comes more authenticity, hopefully. And then we start to see that, yes, and hopefully there's less bullshit and more truth, but we're all just working on it, I guess.
2: We're working on it. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully that's right. I will say that my truth and my beauty about myself is not a result of my sobriety my sobriety as a result of that
1: oh wow Mm -hmm.
2: my sobriety is just one of the glow-on effects of that authenticity that word that's a beautiful word yeah and just stopping the bullshit I remember when it happened I've told this story a couple of times but I was the last time I was in rehab I mean I'd say it was the only time I was in rehab I went to rehab three times but the first one was more of a kind of health retreat kind of thing very good and great but not really dealing with the psychological stuff at all just a bit of a rest and good habits and good routine getting up early and it was nice (laughs) second one kind of was a bit more towards the more traditional rehab but still a bit kind of cruisy and then the third one was fucking rehab which was fascinating and you just sit around all day in the round with with other addicts and Anyway, I, was, I, I wasn't I was an inpatient, I was an outpatient. My counsellor, who's still my counsellor today and a good friend, asked me if I'd been to a meeting the night before and I told him that I had and I hadn't. And I told him that I had because I, it's just that thing that, that someone does that's a bit, a bit scared. You find yourself being a bit full of shit sometimes. People-pleasing and all of that stuff. But I hadn't. And a few minutes later I went up to him and I told him that I didn't go to a meeting last night. And that was it for me. It was like a light bulb. And then that was it. That was the whole thing. And from that came sobriety.
1: What was it about that bit, that moment of truth? Like when you say this is it, what was it about it? Was it that well, you weren't I, so afraid anymore? or
2: uh, I don't know if I wasn't so afraid. Maybe I was just a bit more brave. And I hadn't had a drink for a couple of weeks by that stage as well. What other people think is none of my business. And that's, again, a bit of a cliche, but it's so true. And I mm. think we just waste, but well, I certainly did, just wasted so much time thinking about what other people were thinking. And it's not like I don't do that today. I mean, I still do that from time to time, but it in no way manifests in toxic situations
1: yeah. or into
2: mm. toxic scenarios. Mm. I let this person know that that I hadn't been to a meeting and it was, I mean, that's just the whole deal. You get off stage and you're, you've been a bit pissed, or you're not even if you're not pissed, but you've been on the piss the night before or the day before, and you're not able to recover the way most people can. And you know that about yourself. And you're singing at 65%, as opposed to you got to be up in the 90s or else you're full of shit. working around 65, 70, maybe up when you're fucking hot, it's like 80%. And it's just not enough. And that's not good enough. But You get off stage and you pat yourself on the back and you fucking have a beer with, with your mates and you're all like, yeah, that was a great show. And it's bullshit. No, it wasn't. It wasn't great. You weren't as good as you could have been. And you're fucking shitting all over yourself. And you fucking talent. And I've got so much talent. And I've got so much capabilities. And yeah, my, my 80% might have been great. But it's not great for me. My 80% or 75% might have, I mean, I've been very successful and I've and I've received a lot of acknowledgement for that, whether it's awards or high charting or whatever. And I'm very proud of all the work I've done. But for what I'm capable of, I mean, this last record that I've made is fucking, it's really good. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. And again, I'm proud of all, all my work. Listening, I was actually listening to some of it today in the car. My son, who's little, he loves it. And so there's a bit of a playlist that he listens to in my wife's car. And we were all in her car today. And it was going through all these songs from past records. And it's beautiful. It's really good. I was really proud of the work, especially considering how difficult it was. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Gosh. Um, yeah. It, you, know? yeah. And where you think where you've been, I love that, that moment of honesty, because I think honesty changes everything. And a lot of times when we're drinking a lot, we're not honest and whether it's because we're hiding it or we're, we're just not being truthful with ourselves and mm. honesty for people listening. I really do think that honesty, as long as it's done with kindness is one of our greatest things that we can give ourselves. And I think
2: that word kindness is very important. Yeah. Absolutely being kind to yourself. I mean, we, Again, before we got started, we spoke about the objectives of something like this podcast and, and what we're trying to do. And There's a lot of shame and people can be very unkind and we can be very unkind to ourselves as well. So, look, I've been in this line of work as an entertainer and musician for a long time now and there are certain opportunities that I have let slip by, I guess, or I've been told that I've let slip by and, like, people have been really horrible to me saying horrible things like everyone knows you're just a drunk everyone knows that you've had your chances everyone knows that people have their own issues obviously whatever they may be which I won't go into of course and I think a lot of the time the people who are on the poster or on stage in front of the microphone really cop quite a lot of that when there's a lot of people around with bags of cocaine in their fucking pocket who aren't on the radio who aren't on a streaming service who aren't doing interviews who no one knows their fucking name. Yeah. It's a big machine. Sometimes I've been made to feel a lot of shame and I've put a lot of shame on myself, but in recent times in the, in the last couple of years, I've just reached a really beautiful place. Things just take as long as they take for things to be okay. And sometimes they won't, they'll never be okay. There's some people who never get well, but you know, for me, it took as long as it took for that moment of authenticity, that was just a little moment of like, I didn't go to a meeting last night to have that light bulb moment, but I wouldn't have been able to have that without a few goes at it and already being a fairly authentic person anyway, just instinctually and naturally. So I was very lucky to be able to have that and things took as long as they took. So opportunities, said opportunities that I let go and let slip away, they weren't opportunities. At all, because I wasn't in a place where I was able to take advantage. Of. So for me, being unwell, as I was, I wasn't in a position to grab onto those things. Mm-hmm. They weren't opportunities at all. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, they, they were. Yeah, it mm-hmm. would be great if I was able to go and do that 10 years ago or that, eight years ago or that, or that. but mm-hmm. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then once I was, I did. I mean, this year I played at Red Rocks and I played at the Ryman standing ovation at the and I would have supported Vance Joy on a few shows yeah. over there. I've got one of the best managers on the planet, part of one of the most incredible management agencies on the planet, incredible team, booking agent. And that's just the work stuff. I'm also a wonderful father and, and fucking great dad and husband and, and lover and beautiful, beautiful family person. Very, very grateful. Yeah. It's fucking wonderful.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so you know, it's I took beautiful. As long
2: as I needed to take to be ready, and then once I was ready, I did it. Yeah, and it's I think that's really same.
1: important too, Dan, for people listening if they're stuck in the shame cycle. Mm. And it's really beautiful what you said. Like when you're ready, you're ready. Mm. And cause I hear from people so much. Oh, I've tried, and I just can't fucking do it, or I feel terrible about myself because I haven't done yeah. it. Well, they're but- not
2: failing. That's the thing. They're not failing. So I knew I had a problem when I was 26. And I knew it was like, this is different. I'd had drinks and I'd been out and I'd done things and had parties and all that stuff in the years leading up to about 26, 27. But when I was 26, I knew it was just like, right, this could be bad. It took me until I was 35 to stop.
1: What got you there, Dan? What got you to the point? You don't have to go into full specifics if you don't want to, but what's that point where you get, okay, this has got to change? What got you there?
2: I knew that the whole time. So it's a, kind of a big question. I know what finally did it, but there were a bunch of those over the years. Can like, you say what, what
1: did finally you know, did it?
2: Yeah, I did a show and I was pissed. You know, like fell off a piano stool and there was someone from Murdoch side of the press in the crowd who, and it fucking blew up for like two or three days. It was insane, the amount of fucking news coverage this shit got. But that's a lot of different things, right? Yeah, I mean, I was drunk and it was humiliating. So the humiliation is what did it for me. What a blessing and, though, and, hey? And so, well, the thing is humility is the same word. So Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. they're different words, obviously, and there's, but they're, they're the same origin. I was humiliated. And yeah. my girlfriend at the time, I mean, who's now my wife, Unfortunately, what, that was just going to be another relationship that was just disrespected and not treated with the care that you tell someone you love them, it's a promise. It's a promise of a lot of things. And you're not trying to break a promise. You're unable to keep that promise if you're affected in the kinds of ways that I was by alcohol and drugs and all that stuff.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So it was that moment. It went crazy in the press, a lot of different reasons, it went crazy. Racism was a big part of it. I'd sort of in the year before I'd, I'd been on Q&A and, and done a really good job on there and sort of really, I think that was the first time I'd really sort of established myself as as someone who can be pretty articulate, peaceful and caring in a space outside of music. So I was up on a bit of a pedestal. When you're black in this country and Aboriginal, we're put on pedestals. I mean, we're either mystical and magical, or we're fucking criminals.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: so that's the reality. Particularly, I think. Well, I'm I'm a man, so I can only speak to that. I know as black men, I mean, we're just we're not necessarily seen as brave. We're seen as criminals, like the way some other people might be seen, and dangerous, threatening. That's just how society sees us. So when you're up there and you're in this and you've been put in on this pedestal. Are going to go that way or that way? You know, I watched uh, the papers blow up for a few days about that show and all the while thinking about friends of mine who stand on stage in front of 15,000 teenagers and pour beer all over themselves and no one says a fucking word. The I mean, white guys, the boys will be boys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But i fall off a piano stool. I was drunk and I was really unwell and I needed to get well. But the Mm. demonization was fucking insane. And I'm not going to thank them for it. I've spoken to one of the journalists about this too. I'm not saying anything to you that I haven't said to them. I'm not going to thank them for it, but because of how strong I am and, and beautiful, I was able to turn that into something incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too. When we're stuck in shame or we're feeling humiliated and then that causes shame, if we can't see beyond that, and sometimes it's hard also when you're in it, but it can give us such gifts, like it's propelled you into where you are now. So it was actually a real oh, yeah. gift.
2: Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, this might just be semantics, but I don't see it as that giving me a gift. I see it as myself being strong enough to take that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: I mean, no one gave me anything. No one gave me anything. I did it, and you know. But there's a lot yeah. of talk about higher power and sobriety and higher power of your choosing, and it was obvious what the higher power was for me, and it was the love between my loved ones and and me that's something greater than myself that's what i was able to to use and, and do use every day and then i stopped drinking and i sort of did a bit of research and i was in re- rehab and they're talking about the physical side of it and the psychological side of it and there's you know anywhere from three months to three years resets your synapses and I'm thinking to myself oh, three months oh I can do three months and then three months rolls around and we my wife and I get pregnant with our first baby and it's like all right well that's it and that would due on pretty much a year to the day that I stopped drinking so that's not a sign and nothing is look I'm very lucky that I was able to to be okay I know people and there is a lot of people out there who who have children and They're still not able to do it. That was enough for me. And like we said earlier, I mean, no one's failing. But if you're lying about it and you're lying to yourself about it, then you're full of shit. And be full of shit. Go for it. I'm not saying don't be full of shit, but don't act like you're not. (laughs) Or don't act like it's anything other than
1: that, because that's what it is. Yeah, it's really owning it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, so you obviously went through the rehab. How long were you in rehab for? And how was it after rehab, like getting back to normal life? You've still got the inner critic going on a bit, I'm sure. How Mm -hmm. did you deal day to day and how did you stop yourself?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still today, five years on. And I think without knowing the future, I mean, I'm not anticipating that changing. I was in rehab for two weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. So my counsellor, in our first meeting, suggested doing the two weeks outpatient, and then if it feels like I should be in there for longer, and maybe come in as an inpatient. So open ended, sort of two weeks, if you will. Uh, so I committed to the two weeks and totally willing. But Fiona said three months or six months. I mean, I would have done that. But I committed to the two weeks, willing to do more. As as I am now. And, yeah, then I think coming out, it sort of one thing I found was uh, people being a bit uncomfortable with it. Oh, do you mind if I have a drink? Do you mind if I this? And that's not quite as serious as someone who needs to go to rehab, but that's then that's not owning it. I'm not going to tell people not to drink. I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. Like I mentioned earlier with my work stuff, shows that I'm putting on, there's a couple of pretty serious rules and boundaries which I've set for myself. But I mean, if I'm out to lunch, I'm not going to tell someone not to drink. So I found that people, other people found it a bit awkward, which doesn't have anything to do with me.
1: There's yeah. that cliche again, but it's true.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's none of my business. Yeah. <laughs> someone, mm-hmm. If someone's worried about having a glass of wine, i spent plenty of time with people who, who weren't worried about it. But if someone's worried about having a glass of wine with lunch because I don't drink, it doesn't have anything to do with me.
1: Have you had any times, Dan, where you felt really tested or like on edge, or you you could have caved in? No. Wow, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, I'm really lucky. Mm. So I'm just a bit full on about it. I just don't drink. I mean, you, you know yourself, being on the road and what it's like at a festival or a fucking airport hotel room. <laughs> I mean, I can spend days in a hotel room with a full mini bar and not get drunk because it's very simple for me. I think if I hadn't have had kids afterwards yeah I want to make that clear too I never drank we've got two and the first was born a year after I stopped drinking I've never had a drink in front of my kids
1: you know, amazing I isn't had it? A drink
2: while they have been while they have been alive that's one thing I want to I want to get clear I think that's pretty clear in the narrative that's out there about, about mm. my alcoholism but yeah just want to make that clear look that's not a judgment call on anybody else that's just one thing that and that's one thing I'm particularly proud of and that's one thing I always I would always say as well whether it's a party or at a festival or something, it's when you're having those late night conversations. <laughs> is that I would never want to. My, my parents didn't drink when I was a kid, and that's something that I knew of when I was a kid. I knew that that they didn't drink. At the older I got, I was I really appreciate that. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. And I was like, oh, that's what I would I would like to be that for my kids if I ever have kids. Look, if I had still been drinking and we got pregnant, then it probably would have knowing the father I am and the person I am, that probably would have stopped me anyway. But the fact is, is that what did it for me was being demonised by the media <laughs> mm-hmm. for three days in a row. And then I had kids.
1: Yeah, you're so lucky. I mean, one thing that is one of the biggest regrets of both myself and Ash was that our kids, and that was the driver for us probably in the end, but they saw us really fucking drunk sometimes mm. and it was terrible. Our eldest daughter, Sunny, remembers really clearly like a couple of pretty bad nights and that's really hard. Like that always sits with both of us and that would be the biggest regret that we have. And so you're so lucky that you, that your kids will never see that. And I think that's amazing and what a fucking gift and mm. it's awesome. And another thing you said too, well, this is one thing that Ash always says, With him and him going sober, it was like he decided it was easy and that's just what he'd always tell himself. He's just like, well, it's just off the cards, so I'm not going to sweat it. It's just I just don't do that anymore.
2: I think that's what I was trying to say and then I kind of went on to the kids thing. Yeah, that's so that's just such a great, beautiful, simple mantra. Yeah. It's easy. It's so much easier. I've spoken with someone about they got really badly hurt. I mean, I won't go into details, obviously. It's all very confidential and they got really badly hurt when they were pissed doing something stupid when mm. they were talking to me about how hard it's gonna be not to drink. And I'll go, well it's easier than doing that fucking stupid shit. Right. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot easier than being drunk. So much easier. That and that brings us back to what we were talking about at the start of the the like how luxurious it is having time and having peace. Mm. Certainly a lot more peace. I mean I'm not the Dalai Lama. But I have my moments, of course. I mean, I'm just having that serenity. It's so much easier. And I think someone who is is okay, who doesn't have the allergy, I like that term. Do I got the allergy? Someone who doesn't have that, they're really fortunate. They'll never need to understand what that means. But it's, uh, yeah, just Ash is right, you know, and you're right. It's like so much easier. I mean, not drinking as opposed to, and I don't want to cast aspersions here, but just using Sunny, your, your eldest, having a couple of memories of when you did drink, not drinking is so much easier than knowing that you've done that to your yeah. loved one. Fucking hell. Oh, I did it again. Oh, I've done it again. What did I say last night? Whatever. And not just Sunny, but you know, like I before, and when I was a single person and just running a bit wild and going out and very happy and jovial 90% of the time or 95% of the time. But then you sort of, over the years, every 12, 18 months, you get a text message the next day going, hey, we need to talk. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and you've just said something horrible to someone or you've fucking been in, a bit fucking heavy about something. That's appalling. And the thing is, so what is it? Well, I'm so lucky that for me it was as simple as not drinking. Night and day. There are some people that are really seriously unwell and they can't drink and they, they can't do it, but that's not the end of it. There's a whole bunch of shit that needs to go on for them to be even slightly okay. I'm so lucky that for me it was just simple as not drinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's for people listening too, sometimes that's all it is. It can be really simple. And if you want a better life, then sometimes maybe that's what we've got to take out and, and keep it simple.
2: Well, and then, then just... another cliche: keep it simple. If nothing changes, nothing changes.
1: Yeah. So you actually love cliches?
2: Well, when I, <laughs> when I can, when I, when I can appropriate them to my whatever I'm talking about, I don't mind them.
1: Hundred percent.
2: Give a qualifier though. Here comes a cliche. You know.
1: <laughs> Here comes a good one.
2: I don't so mind it's... a cliche. No, I think sometimes if we're a bit cynical about cliches, it can you're kind of avoiding what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's counterproductive.
1: Yeah. So, Dan, did you do AA? Do you do the AA steps or did you just do rehab and then that was it?
2: No, I didn't do steps. I've been to meetings and I'll go to more meetings. I haven't been for a while, but I'll go to more meetings. I'm not saying that I'm not going to do the steps. I might do the steps. But, no, I didn't do the steps.
1: Yeah, okay. I
2: went to, I went to rehab and I spoke about it in an, yeah. in an intensive environment. Learned a lot about the psychology. And therefore, the emotional side of things and already being a person, fortunately, very empathetic and having some emotional intelligence and awareness about things. I really found it interesting and I found it really helpful. I had a counsellor who got angry at me, actually. They're an alcoholic too. (laughs) So, you know, got angry at me saying that I was like going, yeah, I know, I know the whole time. But I did know. And he's like, well, if you know all the time, then why are you here? And it's like, well, because I'm an alcoholic.
3: Mm-hmm. It's not about
2: not knowing. That's where the owning it is the most important thing in the authenticity. You do know. And you know what you need to do. And you need to stop bullshitting yourself. And yeah. it's not about being angry at yourself. If I'm sounding a bit uh, agitated, it's only because of how much time maybe I I feel like I've wasted I'm not shaming myself over that it's just like it's just it's so much easier than drinking Mm -hmm. so in this particular occasion I was just said to him well it's it's not about not knowing it's about knowing and and still doing it and still not being able to stop I mean that's what an alcoholic is you know that it's not good I mean someone who can drink half a glass of wine and say oh that's enough because I I got to do this tomorrow or I need to drive or whatever it might be. Someone who can do that is probably going to be okay. But as an alcoholic, you can't watch someone do that, let alone do it yourself. You watch them and you just go fucking just drink it. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, hurry up because I want to drink my next glass. Yeah. Yeah. True. Absolutely. Thinking about yourself now and where you are now and alcohol free. Did it seem like that was possible back when you were in the trenches of it before that night happened. Mm. Did it ever seem like that would be something that would be possible for you or did it seem like too hard a task or just something you hadn't even considered?
2: Uh, No, it was something, none of those things. It I considered it a lot and it was inevitable. I think I was avoiding, but it was inevitable because I knew I wouldn't be able to be myself. So when I was ready, I did it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, again, that humiliation, that particular event, certainly helped that moment for me. But the show was on the second of June. The third of June, I was doing another show. I drank on the third of June. It wasn't as messy as I was on the second, fourth of June. I was flying. It was in finals, Queensland. I was flying back to Melbourne. I was drinking that day. I was going to Sydney actually for a party. I'm <laughs> living in Melbourne. Got off in Brisbane. Going to board my flight to Sydney. Phone been blowing up for two days. And I just took myself to the IBIS at the airport and spent five days there. Uh, my wife, then girlfriend, flew up from Melbourne and we just stayed there and
1: kind of dried out there or?
2: Dried out, yeah. And then mm. when I landed, I went straight to rehab.
1: Wow, good on you, Dan.
2: First meetings, yeah.
1: Yeah, wow, well, super. I mean, it's big stuff and it's pretty scary too sometimes, but it's like.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's scary. Yeah, it's really scary. It's sad. You're avoiding the, the sadness.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and your spinning plates look over here that drops oh well this one's going so oh well no one's perfect whatever
1: what's the biggest sort of lesson you've learned or what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself now in hindsight and from where you are now where you sit now
2: i'm not sure (laughs) maybe we'll come back in, in 10 years you know i don't feel like i've changed i feel like if anything i've stopped changing the alcohol and the escape for me was you're just changing constantly from yourself and your true self. And I'm not, ready, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. It becomes, well, if it's not today, then why not? And like I said, I mean, when I did stop, I mean, there were countless times that would have constituted stopping drinking alcohol over the years leading up to that. I mean, I don't think I've learned anything more than, a, oh, I don't know. I mean, I must have,
1: All right, let me rephrase it. What have you found? What have you rediscovered about yourself? And I think I know the answer, but I'll see if you're going to answer this.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, and again, this might just be semantics, but it's sort of, that sort of way of thinking about it sort of implies to me that there's been a journey from there. There's no journey. It's just, it's back. It's here. It's the soul. It's where it all comes from. When I stopped, I mean, I, I was a husk. I was this keeping up appearances, person, spinning plates, as I've said, look, it's okay, everything's okay. And when it all burns down, you no longer have control over the, over the narrative the way I did and with what happened to me. What's left is just the actual, what only ever existed in the first place. So then you stop putting up the, the husk and trying to maintain this husk and you actually find yourself five years later and everything that's out there, being a person who's in the public eye a bit is completely genuine.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what you found. That's what I was thinking. That's the honesty, the authenticity that was always there, but you kind of rediscovered it or or let that part out.
2: Let it out. Yeah. Let other people see it. Those who care. Most people don't care (laughs) and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way at all. People have their lives. People are trying as best they can. Things are difficult. Things are complicated. Things are also really beautiful. And that's just the way it is for everybody for a lot of different reasons, which is a really freeing, beautiful thing. I think particularly if you're really affected and you, you've got a lot of shame around it. I mean, the shame is some of it. Anyway is based off what you think other people are thinking mm-hmm. um, they're not thinking anything I can and if they you. are and if they are it's any business anyway so what's the shame like I said I could walk off stage on a night where I was at seventy percent of my capabilities and people could be applauding and I could be getting a lot of pats on the back but if I'm real with myself it was shit I wrote a song called man on TV and it was uh I was uh, in a bad way and watching Rage and I was out of it and home alone. This is years ago. And it was like a live clip. of some Rage or something. And I looked great. And that was enough for me in that moment to be okay because anyone who saw that, Dan looks great. Whereas the reality was is that I wasn't great. That sort of sums it up. My way of thinking, not anyone else's. And yeah, that sort of sums up that way of thinking. They think I'm okay, so that means I'm okay. Doesn't mean you're okay at all.
1: Hundred percent, absolutely. So Dan, just in finishing, what do you feel like the sobriety has given you? What's the greatest gift other than the luxury of waking up without a hangover? What's the greatest thing it's given you so far?
2: Peace. And again, I'm not. I'm. I haven't reached nirvana, but I'm not looking for nirvana. Not looking for anything. Life is very simple. If something is good for my kids, then I'll do it. If it's not good for my kids, then I won't do it. My wife and I are deliriously in love. We're all in love. My wife and my kids are extremely happy. I got debts. I, I work. I got responsibilities. I'm here with everyone else. But I'm very happy. Yeah. Which is all you can wish for for anybody. It's the greatest thing. I mean, I've had some people treat me really, really bad, callingly. I just hope that they can find peace. And I hope this is something that I wish for myself, is that they find peace and that I'm able to find some peace for them. That's just one aspect of it. And then there's my home. It's a happy place. We don't need anything other than each other. And that's what I'm able to give. I practice a lot of gratitude. And it's always the same order. I'm grateful for my kids and I'm grateful for my wife, and I'm grateful for myself that awesome. I'm able to be all of me because it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful to be able to be that for the people I care most about in the whole world. So we're really lucky.
1: Amazing. Beautiful, Dan. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today and just, and again, congratulations on your awesome new self-titled album, which Thanks. If people haven't heard it, go and get it, go listen to it. It's fucking amazing. Or better still, go buy yourself a ticket to one of these amazing shows and buy the vinyl.
2: Buy it. I've got kids. (laughs) I'm in debt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm happy, but I could be happier.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely beautiful, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. My very final question is this. If you could go back in time and speak to young Dan, it was in his mid-twenties where it was just starting to go a bit more out of control. What would you say to him?
2: I'd tell him to stop now. Stop drinking now because the sooner you stop, the sooner it'll get better.
1: Stop All speaking. the
2: things that you want and that you feel that you're capable of will come to you sooner the sooner you stop drinking.
1: Awesome. Beautiful words, Dan. Dan Sultan, thank you so much.
3: Thanks.